Welcome back. This was a talk I gave at the Association of Women Surgeons National Meeting this, this year. And I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because I think this is a problem that a lot of people are dealing with. It's worth going through some of the things that I've learned by interviewing hundreds of surgeons, reading numerous books, listening to podcasts, all the information that's out there. I think that there's an answer to our problem that we haven't even really explored. So the topic that I was given was the passion problem. I think there's no question that there's a lot going on in medicine that's a little bit overwhelming. And we're not exactly sure where to start. There is a general dissatisfaction that it's hard to put our fingers on. And I think, yeah, I'm definitely not going to talk about all the logistical problems going on in medicine, reimbursement, revenue cycle, insurance problems, hospital problems. I think that that's in many other episodes. I wanted to focus on the things we can control. And what we can control is our mentality about our jobs and the progress of our career. That's where a lot of misunderstandings are that are causing us some distress. So I wanted to follow the path of a, a typical career and show what the passion is in each side of this and then what the passion problem is. So first, I think it's worth talking about why we became surgeons. You know, we chose this career, this challenging career that took a lot of our time and our effort and our youth and we did this for a reason, that becoming a surgeon is one of the greatest professions that we can pick. I think the ability to take someone through really challenging situations that's scary for them and that's challenging for us and truly save someone's life is a really big deal and that should not be minimized. It's so easy to forget this in the day-to-day -day struggles that we have. So in episode two, why we became surgeons, I want you to at some point go back to that episode and listen to the words of what many surgeons told me when I asked the question, why did you become a surgeon? It's so inspiring. So first is remembering why we became surgeons in the first place. The next thing you want to ask yourself is, what is the passion problem that I'm having? And I think it goes back to our a misunderstanding of what we think happens in our career. We think we're medical students, then we become residents, then we become attendings, and then we retire. And it seems like that should be a fluid, linear, going along on, without any interruptions. And I think that's where the big challenge is. So the first thing that I recognized when I read this book, Life is in the Transitions by Bruce Failer, he interviewed 150 people. And really explored what their life was like. What are the things that happened and how did their lives progress? And that was the first time that I realized that our lives don't really progress linear like we think. We have different paths along the way. We have different disruptions. What I saw in surgery was going from training, which is either residency or fellowship, you become a new attending, which is, you can't see the graph, but the graph shows a linear pathway. So we excel, they tell us what to do. We keep thriving. The new attending is essentially an extension of your training. Then you reach mid-career and here's where the problems start because now we have a lot of paths in front of us. We've achieved what we all were meant to achieve. It's kind of a common pathway. Now we start diverging from that common pathway and we have to pick which 
career path is going to work best for us. And that is so different for so many people. And that's where the challenge can be. We ask for advice, but people are only going to give us advice based on their thoughts and their experiences. So this is something that we have to figure out ourselves. And it's a little jarring to go from one path to another. So unless you know that's what you're consciously doing, it's easy to get caught up in the drama of it. So after mid-career is this transitioning. So we've done the linear pathway of training. We've jumped to a different straight line path of the specific path made just for us. And now we're not quite ready to retire, but we want to do something different. This concept is called jumping to the second curve. I learned this from the book, From Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. So he described a lot of the achievement traps and some of the things we fall into and our tendency to not want to give up things. But it's true that our career progresses, whether we like it or not, whether we want to or not. The career that we have will progress. And being conscious of that will allow us to make a choice that really suits who we are and what our needs are, because our needs change over time. So that is the real challenge that I wanted to talk about is training to new attending, mid-career, and transitioning before you get to retirement. So I did find some common themes in each of these different groupings. And first is the desire for job satisfaction. We want to be masters of what we do. We want to be the best at what we do. And recognition is other people see it. If we're the best at what we do, you don't get quite the same satisfaction if other people don't recognize it. And we get that recognition from our colleagues, from administration, from our patients. And in the absence of that, it could be really jarring. It's going to really affect our job satisfaction. And that looks different at every level. Our values and our priorities are important too. So our values are things that we identify that are important to us specifically, like the desire to achieve, or maybe it's a purpose-driven. We want to be generous. We want to be honest. We want to be perfectionist, things like that. So there's certain things that we value over time, and that determines our priorities. Our priorities are what we do. The other thing that's common is uncertainties. So things come up in our life. I mean, is anyone planning on getting sick this year? Is anyone planning on a family member passing away? These are uncertainties that we cannot predict. The next are known limitations of each of these pathways. So certain limitations are going to arise as a new attending that won't be present in, for example, mid-career or transitioning and vice versa. There's also thought errors of what we think we're supposed to do, things that we're telling ourselves that we think are true, but actually aren't true. Those are thought errors that we actually have some control over. Once we realize that what we've been telling ourselves is the truth may not actually be the truth. So first I want to talk about mastery and recognition. Mastery is being good at what we do and recognition is other people seeing it. And I got this idea from the book, How Women Rise by Helgeson and Goldsmith. There are 12 habits holding women back at work in the book, How Women Rise, is how I adopted specifically for surgeons. And you can find that handout at bosssurgery.com as a, a free PDF file that explains those 12 habits. And again, in, in the context of being a surgeon. So one concept that, that jumped out at me that is not just true for us, but true for the people that work for us 
everybody wants to be good at their job. There's no point in having a job if we're not going to, to be good at it. Like no one wants to go to work and be bad at their job. So first is recognizing that mastery is something we all want. The next is recognition. We want to be recognized for what we do because our own satisfaction only takes us so far, but having other people recognize it gives us motivation to continue to improve. So this part is actually very important as well. And this is true for our own job satisfaction. But when you think of this with people that work for us, if we rob them of the environment where they could be good at their job and we don't recognize them, we are not contributing to their job satisfaction. And this is a very easy thing to do is to pay attention and say, what can I do for them that's going to allow them to be good at their job? What can I do for them that can recognize what they do and encourage them to do it? And a great example is delegation. If we fail to delegate, we are robbing them of mastery and of recognition. This is a very important and very simple concept. The next, again, is values and priorities. There are so many free ways to figure out both of these things. These are essentially just sit down, ask yourself some good questions, map out your values, and then that is who you are in this moment. What are the things that matter to me? Teamwork, integrity, honesty, potential, achievement, confidence, leadership, all these things go into our values. I find the internet is a really great way to find simple things. Judy Ho has a quiz that's called the value card sort. I found another thing on the internet that lets you flip through. And values are just a list of words that you look at and say, what is it that describes me, me the best? So if you look at all these words and you narrow it down to first 10 and then 15 and then five, and then you get down to like, you know, three or four values that will help you decide what's important to you right now, as you're looking at yourself in your current job cycle. So that's one aspect is identifying what your values are. And then you look at priorities. These are things like your job, your family, self-care, the giving back to society, all these things. These are the actions that you do from your values. So for example, if success and achievement are values of yours right now, then your job is probably going to be a priority. If caring and support and love is part of your values, then maybe family or friends are going to be top on your priorities. So that's really important to look at some of these details because it's going to help guide you in each of these different ways because our values and our priorities do change over time. Uncertainties, I mean, these are just by definition things we haven't planned for. Going back to Life is in the Transitions by Bruce Failer, this was a book, again, where he interviewed people and he found that there's about 52 specific examples of life disruptions. And when he looked at people's lives, it averaged about every 12 to 18 months, someone had a life disruption. And life disruption are things like a marriage, a job, an illness, a family member dying. So all of these things happen more frequently than we think. And of course, they don't happen at 12 to 18 month intervals. They could happen stacked up three or four life disruptions at a time. And if that's the case, it turns into a life quake and that could be very jarring. And that could certainly set you on a different path than you thought before. The next is about thought errors. This was the most transforming 
exercise for me that I learned. And this is why I became a coach. And this is why I've been able to be very effective as a coach is starting to recognize that we tell ourselves a lot of things, these thoughts in our mind that are based on things that may not even be true. We tell ourselves it's true, or we don't pay attention to what our thoughts are. And these are the things that make us feel a certain way. So then we act from that place. And that's what gives us our results. Unlike what I thought was happening, which is a circumstance happens, I act on it and I get my results. I was missing the thoughts and emotion part of that, that was leading to, I guess, for me to understand more what my motivations are. So once you understand where these actions are coming from, it's going to give you a lot more power to determine what your results are in your life, because we do have a lot more control over ourselves and other people than we give ourselves credit for. This is a key into really working on our own self-concept and our influence on other people. And this is primarily what I do as a coach. The next thing is about emotions and thought errors. So Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown is an excellent book. And in my slide presentation, I showed a wheel, an emotion wheel that you can get anywhere on the internet. And it's simply recognizing the language of emotions, that once we start having clarity on how we feel, then we start making big differences in our life. For example, if you're feeling angry, angry is not very specific. Angry is typically an accelerant to an underlying emotion, but it is a good place to start to simply say, I'm angry right now. I'm not sure why yet, but I can tell right now, this is how I feel. And if you look at one of these emotion wheels, you could say, I see where anger is. And now I can ask myself, is this frustration? Is this hopelessness? Is this shame? Is this powerlessness? What is leading me to anger? Um, injustice is another. So you can see there's a ton of different emotions that can masquerade as something simple. And the more clarity you have on that, the more you start to realize you have more direction than you did before. So feeling angry because you're powerless is helpful because you're starting to recognize this is coming from a position of feeling like you don't have any control over what's going on. And if you know that's what you're thinking, you can ask yourself if it's true. And a lot of times it's not true. I may not be able to do something, but I could instead ask myself, what can I do? And already clarity and emotions is going to give you a better direction. When we look at training, let's talk about the passion of training. What is so great about our training? The nice aspect of training is success is defined. You do this number of cases, you get this evaluation, you go to the next step. The pathway is clear. It's linear. There is an element of hustling. We do all the things. We work really hard. We get stuff done. And I introduced another book called Whole Brain Living by Jill Bolte-Taylor. She had a really great story, grew up in a home where her brother and her approached life quite differently. And she became fascinated with that because she said, one of us, something's going on. I'm not sure who's really wrong in here. And she became a Harvard neuroanatomist after that. So she studied the brain pretty extensively. And in her thirties, she ended up having a stroke and that stroke knocked off the left side of her brain to where she essentially lost linear thinking, linear processing, motivation, understanding the context of people and things. So all she had was the right side of her brain, which is more abstract, more 
our current in the moment feelings and our connection to the world. So it took her eight years to get back online, but she gave us a tremendous amount of information in her first book, Stroke of Insight, but Whole Brain Living was her most recent book that I found a lot of clarity on how we think and how we have different parts of our brain that influence different thinking. So when I think of training and I think of linear pathway and going from one place to another, I think of the thinking part of the left side of our brain. So in our training, we're primarily spending our processing and our thinking in that part of the brain, the thinking side of the left brain. So the passion is coming from, I can do this. Everyone's in the same boat. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I understand the path. I know it's going to be hard, but other people are doing it. It's worth it. Our mastery and recognition is fairly defined. We do the things. We get good at what we do. We recognize, get recognized by our evaluations and getting our certification at the end. The passion problem in training comes into the thoughts that sneak in of, I don't know everything. I can't do everything. I'm just a resident. And please, if you ever find yourself saying, I'm just anything, that is an automatic minimizing thing. It's one of the most harmful words that we can say. I don't know what to do next. You could be overwhelmed with negative emotions. And you currently have underdeveloped confidence and self-confidence. You haven't quite worked that muscle yet. You haven't quite figured out how to gain that confidence and self-confidence to a level that you ultimately will. You may start having conflicts with other people because our job's hard. And you may not feel masters of what you're doing. And you may not be getting the recognition you think you should be getting. So those are the passion problems in training. When we go to being a new attending, there's a lot of similarities in this, but a little bit of difference. So now we're outside of training. Our thoughts that lead to our passion as a new attending, I finally get to do what I want. My career has begun. I can make more conscious choices in my, my career, my life, and my practice. I'm really becoming the master of what I do. And my recognition is coming potentially from your job, if you're lucky, and from you. But certainly that's where we're getting our mastery and recognition. The passion problem as a new attending is now we have complications and we are the attending. We are the one directly responsible. We may start to have more interactions of difficult partners and colleagues and administrators. We may not be able to negotiate for what we want because no one's ever taught us. We now run clinics. So the administrative delegating, the efficiency challenges are all new. Now we're still hustling and it's exhausting because not only are we hustling doing all the things we did as a resident, there's all these other obligations too. We fall into the trap of working in our business as technicians, and we don't realize the importance of working on your business, which is working on the strategies and being the CEO of your career. So our mastery and recognition are looking at different aspects of it. Being a master now is not just being a master technician, it's being a master technician and a CEO of our practice. And recognition can come in some jobs and not in others. So it can be a bit of a challenge. In mid-career, this is interesting because what I'm finding is it takes some people by surprise. These can be personal and professional changes that we haven't quite anticipated. We get lots of opportunities because when you are good at your job, a lot more open opportunities open up to you with your knowledge and your mastery and your experience. 
So you now have a lot of choices and your goals may change. Now having family and them needing more time or realizing I don't want to be here. Our interests may change. We've now worked in the hospital many hours, many more than most people work in their job. And our interests have changed. We want to do more things. So this is not a clear path because everyone has different paths they could go based on the things that are open to them based on their experiences. And you also start to realize that life is not necessarily linear. Now we're tapping a little bit into the right side of the brain that Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about. We want to have more control of how we feel every day. We want to explore our connection with the world around us. So now we're using more aspects of our brain power and using different skill sets that we did before. So the mid-career passion is you have become the best at what you do. Seeing the rewards of all you have achieved is amazing. Your confidence and your self-confidence are at all-time high. And now you're starting to be recognized for what you do. It is the highest level of the traditional mastery and recognition in our career. This comes with a problem, of course. The passion problem in mid-career is that we're trying to do it all. We now have families, committees, research. We still have a demanding clinic. We want to fill the ORs. Our career is moving in a different direction, though. These interests and all these leadership opportunities and other business opportunities we have may be pulling us in a different direction, but we don't want to give up the achievement that we've already gotten. Unfortunately, achievement is you have to keep doing more and more to get the same effect. And we start to realize we can't keep this up. Something has to give. We have this urge to run away and we have this urge to run towards what we're doing. We start to worry a little bit about retirement. Like I can't keep this up. And we start having ideas of maybe I do want to give this up because this is too much because we don't realize we created a trap. Our mastery and recognition are conflicting. We're certainly masters, but we want to be masters of other things. And we're starting to get recognized, but we're going to have to give up some recognition to pursue some of these other opportunities. I think a great book for this is The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. She helps us understand the signals that we have and if we're on the wrong path. And if we don't listen to our internal self, we may find ourselves ill, body aches, more tired, can't sleep. There's a lot of things that we could do to recognize when we are out of integrity for where we want to be in life. Let's move to transitioning. So now you've gotten past this idea of the passion problem of mid-career, you're starting to go a little bit on the path you were meant to go, but it's difficult to transition. So to transition, you have to overcome the striver's curse. You have to move away from achievement, maybe move more towards purpose, or you're achieving something you're not quite as good at yet. And again, Arthur Brooks calls this jumping to the second curve. So we leave this linear path of something we've achieved very well, and we jump onto this other curve where we may not be as good as it yet, but we're just called to do that particular new opportunity. So it takes us a little while, and that can be a little bit jarring because now we're, again, doing something different than other people and different than what we were doing. So we start to realize it's a little uncomfortable to do something different, but we're really tapping into this right side of our brain, our attachment to the world, our purpose in life, 
and not just the linear achievement pathway, we're starting to get a, a little bit more of an idea of ourself and the whole of humanity. The traditional passion or transitioning passion is now we're starting to do what we really want. We may be helping other people thrive. We may be doing less of the hustling that we did before. We're not in the spotlight as much because it's not as important to us anymore. We're giving other people the spotlight. We're starting to have greater life satisfaction because we're allowing ourselves to do some other things. Our mastery is different than it was before. We want to be masters of something else. And our recognition is mostly giving recognition to other people as we give up some of these things. And our recognition of what we're doing is much more internally focused as we determine what makes us happy in life. The passion problem in transitioning is we're doing less and our brain has a loss aversion. We don't want to give up things. So we're doing less, which is a little uncomfortable. We're giving others the spotlight and they're getting the glory we once had. We also may be raging against the decline because it is harder to do the things we did before with ease. And it may be a recognition that we're changing our identity. We're not the same person we were before. And that could be very jarring if, for example, your identity has always been as a surgeon, and now you're moving away from that identity into something different, like you know, a teacher, an educator, or something completely different altogether, like going into industry. And then we go to retirement. We've had a long, wonderful career. And in retirement, the passion of this is we really only do what we want. There's less expectations. There's less pressures. There's closing the door to the work that we did before. People aren't going to be calling us day and night or paging us or sending us requests. We could spend more time with our family, less responsibilities, maybe more travel and time. But the problem the passion problem in retirement is now more loss of identity. Our career doesn't define us anymore. We may find ourselves irrelevant. People aren't calling us anymore. We don't have the same value. We may have health limitations that we didn't think before. We thought we would have a lot of energy and not have to have as many doctor's visits as we might later in retirement. And our family also may have more health limitations. Your spouse may have illnesses or disabilities or even pass away. So life as it looks like in retirement may not be what you thought. Money can be an issue either you've saved and, and you're well set off, or maybe you don't have as much as you thought for retirement because there's more things that come up. So you never exactly know what the money situation will be until you get to retirement. In conclusion, our values and our priorities change over time. It's important to know that nothing has gone wrong. These are predictable levels, predictable changes. And at each level, each different level, you get a different challenge. And recognizing that you're in a different challenge makes it so much easier to realize you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with us. It's important to pay attention to the thoughts we tell ourselves over time because that's where our distress is coming from. And we want to use our whole brain, not just the linear aspects of it, but our attachments to what's happening day to day and our attachments to people around us and our, our place and our role in the world. This is very important. So I really appreciate you spending the time to listen to this. I have referenced several books. And if you go to bosssurgery.com, 
backslash books, you'll see links to get these books, the ones that I talk about. And also reminder that there is a Facebook group that is free for everyone called Become the Boss MD Coaching. And on Instagram, I'm at become underscore the underscore boss MD. And of course, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you all, and especially what messages in this resonated with you.